This episode is brought to you by DRB Facility Services. DRB provides a full range of facility services for both corporate and government clients. To learn more, please visit drbfacilityservices.com. That's drbfacilityservices.com. Hi, I'm Juliet Mayers. Welcome to Entering the Inspiration Zone with Juliet Mayers, a podcast for business professionals and entrepreneurs seeking positive connection and professional development. As an accomplished author, speaker, DEI strategist, and member of Forbes Coaches Council, I am living the dream and I love helping others achieve their dreams. Each episode, I will share with you actionable steps that you can take to build the work and life you've imagined. Welcome. I am so excited to have with me today on this podcast, Rosabeth Moss Cantor. Rosabeth is the Ernest L. Arbuckle Professor at Harvard Business School, specializing in strategy, innovation, and leadership for change. She is an amazing, world-renowned person, and I have the deep honor of actually knowing Rosabeth, and I'm so excited about the opportunity to speak with her. Rosabeth also is the co-founder of Harvard University's Advanced Leadership Initiative, guiding its planning from 2005 to its launch in 2008, and then leading it through 2019, as it became a growing international model for a new stage of higher education, preparing successful top leaders to apply their skills to national and global challenges. She is the author and co-author of 20 books. Her latest book, Think Outside the Building, How Advanced Leaders Can Change the World One Smart Innovation at a Time. She has won numerous accolades, and there are so, so many, but I'm just going to mention a few. Rosa Beth is named among the 50 most powerful women in the world by Times of London and the 50 most influential business thinkers by Thinkers 50. In November 2019, she received their biannual Lifetime Achievement Award. Her book, Confidence, How Winning and Losing Streaks Begin and End, is a New York Times bestselling book. And I could go on and on and on because she is just phenomenal. I admire her. She is also a wonderful person. And I am deeply humbled and honored to have you on the podcast today, Rosabeth. Welcome. Thank you so much, Juliet. And I am so happy to do this with you because, first of all, I love the idea of the inspiration zone. We definitely have to enter it and we have to get more people in it because this is the time when we need hope and inspiration and positive thinking even more than we have in the past. So thank you for the title and for leading people into the inspiration zone. Thank you. Thank you. Honored to have you here. So on today's podcast, we're going to talk about leadership. And of course, with the uh, inspirational Rosabeth Moss Cantor, we're going to talk about evolved leadership. Given the pandemic and many other challenges that we have going on in the world, 
I'm sure her insights are being sought after and continue to be sought after by best companies around the world. So it's an honor to have her here. But before we delve into leadership, I want to give Rosabeth this opportunity to share with us her personal journey. I find that this is a part of the podcast that people really love. It helps to not only humanize our guests, but also serves as a point of inspiration for many people. So, Rosabeth, tell us about yourself. Well, thank you. I I actually don't talk about myself that much, but I'll talk a little because my goal is always to talk about other people, to empower other people, to find the models. But I so I started out thinking that way and doing that when I was really a little kid. So I used to write plays when I was in kindergarten and have other people perform them. And when I was about eight or nine years old, I made business cards that said child psychologist. And they said the only child psychologist who is also a child. So (laughs) I always had this sense that I would do things for the world and do things for other people. And I found a field that I really loved. And but I wasn't enough to just be an academic. I mean, I went right from college to get a Ph.D. very fast. I mean, it still is considered a record. And people say, oh, my God, you did it so fast. Well, the secret was I also did summers and I took every opportunity to speed it up because I didn't want to um, only be studying I wanted to be working. And by the way, that's something I say to a lot of women, because women feel they must accumulate a thousand degrees before they're ready to rise to the top. And I say, no, 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 just get started. And yes, it's important if you want the education, but it's not the credentials that propel you somewhere. It's what you can actually do. So as soon as I was out of graduate school and in a faculty position, it was important to me to start consulting, to start doing things in the real world, to start advising, to start getting involved. And so ever since, that's what I've done. And so for all these years in a fairly, I would say, lengthy career, I've always done the same thing. I have thought and researched and I have great research teams and I've learned new things and I've found that being a thought leader is a very important part of leadership. Leaders have to help shape the way other people see the world, frame it for them. And at the same time, I was also wanting to do things that were applied and make a difference. And then they enrich each other. So I've done all the same things, except I've done them on different topics and I keep changing. And most recently, I'm not only interested in the smart, small innovations that advanced leaders can do, but I'm also interested in the really big problems of the world, like climate change and how we accelerate progress. And I translate everything into a leadership problem. Which is amazing. Now, you started at a time, you mentioned you did your PhD quickly. How fast are we talking? How fast is fast? Three years from BA to PhD. Wow. Yeah, well, but, you know, if you count the summers... So, you know, that's a slightly tricky statistic. And there were some people who said, oh, it's a little fast. You know, if you spent more time on your dissertation, it would be even better. But actually, I published a book later out of my dissertation. So it was just fine. So I was charting my own course. 
and doing what I felt was important to do. And partly it was the credibility that women need and want. And so I get it when, again, a lot of women accumulate so many degrees. In some fields, you actually need it. In other fields, it's not clear. And so I wanted to put myself out there in the world rather than stay in school, although I clearly value education because I've been working for Harvard for so many years. (laughs) Yeah. And how long? You mentioned education. And I want to go back to the fact that You were a trailblazer. And correct me if I'm wrong, but there weren't a whole lot of other women who you had. No, there weren't. No, there were not. And it made me angry. It made me wish people would treat women differently and that women would think of themselves differently. But it mostly had it had to do with both the structure, the situation, the norms of the world. And it did have to do also with then our individual choices in response to that. And so my particular individual choice was to work as hard as I could to make an impact to learn as much as I could about the context so I knew what was going on and what it took to be successful. It's all the tricks that we all know are important. Find people who are willing to give me a helping hand here or there or that I could work with who seemed more open. And it was also a time when the idea of more women was in the air. Mm -hmm. But I knew, in fact, I put later on, I did research about what it meant to be the only. Mm -hmm. And that became pretty famous, being the one letter O, I said, in a group of only X's out of my own experiences, but also out of a lot of research. So there was a little bit of defiance. They can't keep me down. And a little bit of savvy learning and learning how to present issues in a way that encompassed everybody. That was always something that was really important, that when you frame a problem, and it may be one that you see or that you see for your group, the solutions really have to be things that will appeal to many people and it will solve their problem too. And so that's what I advise today in our divided partisan world, that we have to find solutions that will unite people rather than divide them. It won't be, I get more now because, hey, we need women. But it was, why don't we find solutions for how we hire, how we promote, how we think about people that are good for everybody? You know, I have a, a son whom I adore, and I there really was not much parenting leave. And so I didn't really take it, but I knew how to arrange my schedule so I could have the time I needed. That was the trick. I figured out how I could make the system work. But then I was told later, well, when I was advocating for parenting leave, I was told later, well, you didn't take it. And I said, that doesn't Mm. matter. I had to do a workaround because you don't offer it. Let's figure out how we offer it so that people don't have to work harder just to stay in place. In a way, I learned how to do both things. First of all, demonstrate a few superpowers and at the same time understand all of the vulnerabilities that people have and that society, systems, organizations, companies, leaders have an obligation to lift them up. Yeah. And so where did you get your inspiration? Because what you're describing was not a normal thing. 
back then, you know, <laughs> it's like, where did you get your inspiration? And obviously you're a thoughtful person. You're a thought leader. You're amazing. You've done a lot of research, but in the moment, as you're going through this, to whom did you turn? How did you get through it? That's a really great question, Juliet, and I should have ready answers. So I got it in pieces often, you know, a person here for a particular issue, a person there for another issue. There was always somebody that you could befriend who would be helpful, even if other people were not particularly and gravitate to them and cultivate them. Yeah. My husband was incredibly important in the things we started together and in being so positive about what I did. That was really helpful. And also, you know, willing to take on his share mm -hmm. of all of the work because women are sometimes handicapped by the double shift and having to do more of the work. There was that. But then also there were other women. We found each other. It was they didn't propel me into doing what I was doing. So I was doing it. But now I knew that you don't want to act alone. Everybody right. needs people around you to talk to. And so in Boston, we found each other. I mean, there were a couple women judges. There was a woman corporate CEO. And we were approached, the corporate CEO and I, about whether we would organize some other women in Boston, because this was the start of women's networks growing. Mm -hmm. And so we organized a group of women first we met, then we had a breakfast group of, of another five women, and we each invited a few others, each from different fields. And because there weren't very many in every field, we found each other, and then another group had started, and we got together. And that was, it was listening to people's stories, but it was just also going and being with peers and colleagues and not having to feeling relaxed, not having yeah. to being authentic. Yeah. And it's not that we complained, we organized. Right. Because complaining can feel good for a few minutes, but it wears <laughs> off pretty fast. I also learned. So the inspiration for me comes from doing. Mm -hmm. And I refer to it in my book, Think Outside the Building. And I refer to it in bumper stickers I've made and I've tweeted it is the optimism of activism. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Hashtag optimism, optimism of activism. activism. <laughs> um, that doing nothing, being passive is depressing. Mm -hmm. And it only gets you more tired, less energetic, etc. But doing something, anything, taking a step can be so gratifying and rewarding. And if it's the wrong step, you have a chance to correct it and start again. But doing is my solution. Doing and uplifting others, those two things inspire me. I find myself more inspired by what I can. That's why I said I don't tell my story too often. By what I can do to reach out to other people and cheer them on. That is so gratifying. And yeah, it's been the whole field. Yeah. I it's mean, been, it's not fun being the only woman. We needed more. Yeah. Um, because then it takes off some of the burden, some of the pressure. But the uplift, reaching out to other people and also taking action. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, those are all very powerful. I do have to say that while you are someone who you, like you say, you're a doer, you're not somebody who's out there saying, hey, look at me or look, I'm doing that or, or what have you, or look at how I did it. Also, I'm sure you, given the expert and teacher that you are, knows that people learn and get inspired by knowing how you did it. 
Yeah, right. although how yeah. I did it, you know, like yeah. I keep thinking I'm a little weird. I'm a little strange <laughs> as I'm so how I did it and what I did may not be the same as what other people did. So the only thing I can consider inspirational is that I managed to do it. But I think, you know, the idea of the helping hand to other people and without being patronizing, I mean, you know, I don't want people to try to do things for me that I can perfectly well do for myself. But, you know, I'm I'm mentioning a lot of things about being a woman because I am clearly. But at one point I resigned from being a woman. That's kind of a joke. But <laughs> because I was no. getting too many invitations like, will you be on this board? We need a woman. <laughs> and I said, well, I'll be very happy to find you one. But I've just resigned. I wasn't going to do it just because. I mean, my goal, as I said earlier, is uniting everybody. It's a world in which people feel included. It's a world in which everyone has opportunity to thrive. And it's great that we're talking about opportunity now and encouraging leaders to think not just about hiring people for jobs, but giving them opportunity. That was a concept that I wrote about a long time ago, the importance of opportunity. Because if you don't have opportunity, then it's very hard to have these aspirations. When you don't have opportunity and the door is closed, there are very few people who would say, oh, I'm going to crash through that anyway. Or as in my case, I am going to tap, knock politely and bring bring something to the table. Mm -hmm. You have to also think about what you're bringing to the table for other people when you're seeking your own opportunity. But if we don't routinely provide opportunity, no more dead-end jobs should be a motto. And everybody should be able to think about the next step. And sometimes that next step is just my next contribution, my next project. Right. You know, and everything that you're saying is just so phenomenal. And at the same time, you know, I think about, you know, as you know, a lot, a lot of the work that I do is diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think of a small microcosm of what you do in terms of strategic networking, <laughs> given your vast experiences. But I think from what I've observed is that that plays out differently depending on who you are. And given the number of challenges that we've seen, both in terms of people just trying to be who they are in terms of their uh, having their own lived experiences valued and being welcomed and included just for who they are, we're still having these conversations here in 2023. And it can be quite a bit of a challenge for those who are not viewed as the ones who can move things forward or the right Right. gender, the right color, what have you. And it's sad to say that we're still in a space. that, That is, of course, one of the main issues of our times. I would say the two really big issues that the world faces, certainly the United States faces, are the existential problem of climate change and a change that affects all of us, and also disparities and questions of identities. So I, if I could advise everybody and advise the world out of my own experience and also the people I've seen be the most effective. First of all, if you want to be seen for who you are, you can't hit other people over the head with it, though. And you can't be rigid about it, I think. So 
you have to find ways to make it positive and acceptable for people to learn that and make it an asset. Whether it's inviting somebody for dinner in a neighborhood they haven't been, whether it is saying, you know, that makes me uncomfortable. That's because I come from here and I did that. And tell me about yourself. You have to find ways to be diplomatic. And I hate to say that the onus the burden onus. That's part of my X's and O's. That's one of my puns. It's a very funny video, the old X's (laughs) and O's. It's part of the onus is on the person who's different. I'm sorry to say that because the person who's different, other people really don't know how to react. And so in a way you have to make them comfortable, then they'll listen. Mm -hmm. Then you can say, now look, here are a few extra needs I have. Like, let's not have 7 a.m. meetings because I have a kid. Let's not go to certain neighborhoods. They're harder for me. People don't treat me well. Let's not go drinking after hours. I can't. I have responsibilities. You know, I have a much longer commute than you do because of the neighborhoods that people like me are allowed to live in. You have to find ways first to have some bridge and then a way that people are going to listen to that and then they'll help championing it with you. So it's a little diplomacy. However, at the same time, the fact that there are activists outside a company that are making a big fuss is really helpful because then you can say, well, you know, I'm not going to be that extreme. You can live with me, but you know, there's a lot of noise out there and we have to pay attention to that because it's going to affect all of us. So you have to balance the sort of revolutionary instinct of, okay, now it's my turn and I want to get it all for myself with how we include others. You know, if you say, who's my inspiration? So I certainly people I know, but one of one of the leaders, I was already who I was before I really thought about him, but he continues to enter my mind as Nelson Mandela. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a, a Harvard Business School case on Nelson Mandela. Yeah. I did a chapter in my book, I think in confidence, I did a chapter around the turnaround of South Africa and how he led. And the things that were the most impressive and sometimes hardest for my students to get is how after 27 years in prison, he emerged and he wanted to work with the former oppressors. He did not want to take revenge. And in fact, people in his own group were urging him, take revenge. You know, now's our time. We're going to take it all. And he didn't. He said, we need them. They have assets too. We need the white South Africans. And he went to London before he was president and he made a famous speech in Trafalgar Square in London where he had a lot of South African expats and he urged them to come back. And I heard this firsthand from somebody who was there, who was a white banker who had left South Africa. And Mandela said, come back, we need you. Mm -hmm. And so his goal was to unite people. And he did have, you know, truth and reconciliation. We have to say it how it was. We have to understand that history was awful. But we learned a lot. I learned a lot from him about forgiveness and moving on and taking action. I had a student who said 27 years in prison. They couldn't even handle like 27 months of deprivation, 27 minutes. But, you know, I said, we all have to find our inner Mandela where we find 
the strength and resilience to go on and to find something positive we can build on. I wish we had more of that spirit among leaders today. Yeah, there's so much there. And I I know we don't have time to delve deeply into all of these things. I do want to pick up on the notion that, and I know you're right in one respect, in terms of I feel like we ask, sort of blame the victim in some cases, right? With leaders where it is then the person's responsibility to then make that leader feel comfortable where that leader might be quite biased or misbehaving or what have you. And I know that's not your intent to make them comfortable in that way, but I do want to say, I think it's part of this needs to be that leaders need to see their role in creating an environment and a culture where people who are already oppressed or marginalized aren't put in the position of having to educate and make others feel comfortable. Yes. And, you know, what I like about this conversation is a little pushback and a chance to reflect on these ideas. I think you're totally right. That should not be the responsibility of the people who have been marginalized. But think about it for a moment. Who knows the story better than them? So, you know, I was always ready to answer questions about being a woman. Yes, I'm a white woman. I'm also Jewish. There's been a lot of anti-Semitism out there. I do think that leaders, people who aspire to leaders, leadership, should know themselves and should explore their own biases. I did a lot of my work specifically against blaming the victim. That is, I always found the structural or systemic reason that somebody was behaving the way they did, like mm-hmm. low motivation, low aspirations, I would say low opportunity, feeling yeah. a little like you wanted to lord it other over other people. If you had a job in a bureaucracy, well, powerlessness, if you treated them with more respect, they'd get a little looser. So totally against blame the victim. So that's like the systemic strategy for us as individuals, though, we can't necessarily wait for that aha moment. And so if you knew how to take that person by the hand, so to speak, if you knew how to explore this and deal with it in a way that they're more receptive just to you. It's a survival strategy, too. Yeah. And then we can band into groups and groups can make demands. Unions can make demands. Movements can make demands. But there's a slight difference between what is an individual you do to get along in a corporation. I totally mm-hmm. agree. I don't agree that people should always be adapting to these difficult and patriarchal systems, racist, patriarchal systems. I don't think people should always be adapting, but there's a way to handle being marginalized, sometimes with colleagues. Like I say, action brings optimism. With colleagues, you can make a suggestion for a positive step that would fix a problem and at the same time, get the attention of people at the top to begin to examine what their biases had been. Mm -hmm. And so I'm often encouraging that kind of productive, positive action. I know that I don't know everything that people's history has brought. Mine has brought a lot, too. We have to be able to talk to one another. And then we also have to be able to do the work. I found that personally being very task oriented was a way that I often got 
resources and support and a hearing from people and not leading first with my identity. Mm -hmm. I led first with what I could do for you in this situation. Right. I totally understand and agree with the in terms of the leadership component. And like I said, this is a short amount of time to delve into some deep things. And you, I think both of us have very personal experiences. So if you want to be a leader, if you yeah. aspire to be a leader, yeah, one thing you have to do is these days, especially during the pandemic, I said CEO. I wrote a blog that said CEO should stand for chief empathy officer. That is, you had to understand what your people were going through Mm -hmm. if you wanted their full support to help keep the company alive. You had to keep them alive. You had to think about what their life circumstances were. And so this idea of empathy and being able to get into the other person's shoes is really important. And I'm realizing why you pushed back a little on some of what I said and gave me a chance to clarify, because these are very difficult issues that are fraught for people. They're just fraught with pain, fraught with concern. But the fact is, we all need each other. It's like Mandela may have actually hated those white South Africans, but he knew he needed them. Right. That he was not going to build the country without them. So I don't know. I mean, we to the extent that we're talking about people being leaders in companies, they need all the workers. They need all the people around them to get the work done. They also need to be responding to what people care about if they want commitment and mm-hmm. support. Right. And if they want to build confidence in their leadership, you have to understand what matters to the people around you. And if what matters to people has to do with identity, if it has to do with family, if it has to do with the nature of the work, if it has to do with more leisure, it's a concern now that some CEOs are saying everybody has to go back to the office without asking people what their situations are and having a little overlap time, a little flexibility. You know, I also write a lot about managing change. People mm-hmm. resist change when there's too much uncertainty, little flexibility, doesn't take their own needs into account. And so I worry about what will happen. And so the best leaders are not only leading big strategies. Of course, you have to be smart about strategy, but you also, people are the key to getting Mm -hmm. things done. You also have to listen to them, hear them, learn from them. And so that's different from the survival strategies I was talking before that came out of my own career. But they also stood me in good stead as I began to grow things, lead things, learn things. And any mistakes I made was because I let somebody else talk me into it and I hadn't really checked with the people because a leader, there's a lot of pressures on a leader. The board says, why don't you get everybody back in the office, for example? (laughs) And your instinct may be that's a little fast, but you don't act on it. Yeah. So we have to listen to the people a lot more. That was Mm -hmm. empowerment was always a gigantic theme in my work. Yeah, absolutely. Listen to the people. 
And, you know, I can't believe we're actually running low on time. This is a fascinating conversation. And thank you so much for engaging with me and, and dropping the, all of these wonderful truths. I just want to take a minute to just highlight a couple of the key takeaways that I got out of our conversation, which this is absolutely amazing. And I hope leaders will really listen to this and learn from your example. There's so many. So one, I'm going to start with the end because, you know, this whole notion of listening to people, right? <laughs> Listen, learn, act is one of those things that I, I love to think about more. And I think that's what I thought of when you said the best leaders are listening to their people. They're understanding what they need before they act and make decisions that are going to impact uh, the workforce. So we'll, we'll start with that end there. But then I'm going to go back to there's so many powerful things that you said, but I love this optimism of activism concept of really being optimistic, but taking action, right? Whether you're the person who is marginalized or the person you feel uh, is not necessarily getting the opportunity to be optimistic about whatever it is, the situation you're in and take action, positive action to move forward in a positive way. I also love the fact of you lifting others up. So much of your focus has been, how do you help leaders? How do you help the world? How do you help women? I love the resigning as a woman concept too, which of course, if you're just tuning in, you really have to go back and listen to that point. But lifting others up, so, so important. And when do you have these two big issues that you identified? And I love the fact that you took such major issues and simplified it because it really gets to the essence of what we're up against as leaders, right? The existential climate change issue and disparities of all types, race, ethnicity, you know, gender, all and economic and so forth. And as leaders, we all need to find, first of all, confront our own biases and look at what we need to do to inspire our people by listening to them and also making sure we are leading with empathy. I love the CEO one as well, right? Well, what did you say? Was that the chief it's empathy? empathy yeah. <laughs> chief empathy officer. And so if all of us could commit to being the chief empathy officers of our organizations, whether you're at the top of it or a leader in the ranks, that would go a long way. So that brings us to the end of our time together. But Rosabeth, I cannot thank you enough. I am so humbled and so appreciative of the time that you've spent with me today and the wisdom that you've shared. Is there anything else that you would like to say to our leaders before we wrap? Um, so Juliet, this is, it's been a pleasure for me and you gave me a chance to talk about myself, which I don't do a lot. And so it might have been a little misleading. You know, I've been one of the barrier busters, but I want to say to leaders that you have to understand the barriers that most people operate under. And for the big problems we face, they're all connected because, you know, unless people have a deeper sense of belonging and that whatever action you take will somehow be good for me, they're not going to want it. They're going right. to resist it mm -hmm. and it will be harder and harder. And the best companies today are still the ones that are offering to their people a certain amount of flexibility and a great deep meaning, a great belief in the mission. And so leaders also have to be inspiring. That's why I like Inspirational Zone, have a mission that's larger than any one of us 
but that somehow is good for all of us too. You can ask some people to sacrifice and others not. What we have to do is find the place where we share a fate in a company or in communities, and then let's get moving together. And for people who are feeling a little sorry for themselves, they should because they're feeling a little victimized. I do see they get moving. I do say find one thing that you can do to make a difference. Find one asset you bring. And maybe that is helping educate the others. Maybe it is volunteering for something that you get opportunity by volunteering in part. And Mm -hmm. if you get turned down all the time, ask people, why am I being turned down and have the conversation? But I think the idea that we find the common purpose and provide an opportunity for everybody to participate in it, everybody to make a difference, that builds the best organizations and the best communities. My current research is finding that over and over again. Fantastic. Fantastic. And if you could let our listeners know where they can reach you. So every Harvard Business School faculty member has a page about our own work and there's a place to send messages. So Harvard Business School is HBS, harvardbusinessschool.edu. It's really very simple and I can be Googled and I, I mean, it's it's such a, pr- a privilege and a pleasure if people actually respond after hearing this. Thank you. And Julia, thank you for your thoughtful questions and for the privilege of being in a group of women leaders with you that do think about taking steps to make a difference. Thank you. I am so, again, humbled and appreciative of this, Rosabeth. And until next time, and so I will be seeing you around and look forward to seeing you soon. Absolutely. That'll be great. (laughs) And to everybody, not only have an inspirational day, but remember the optimism of activism. If you're feeling a little down, do something. Love it. Love it. Thank you for joining us on Entering the Inspiration Zone. Until next time, we would love to hear from you. So if you'd like to join our mailing list, please send an email to info at inspirationzonellc.com. That's info at inspirationzonellc.com. And be sure to put podcast in the subject line. Thank you and have a fabulous day.